Welcome, everyone, to episode 226 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. Uh, I'm James. We have Ryan and Paul here. We were doing this on Monday night. It's 8.30-ish or so Monday night here, uh, Central Time, and we were hoping to maybe have something to talk about either way. Either, Headline. you know, yeah, like, a you know, pressure creates finality. diamonds. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and we're sitting here and nothing's happened yet. I, I shouldn't say nothing because Rob Madford's done a lot of walking today and uh, there's been lots of talks, but talks are still ongoing. So there's a chance I might have to bust up my breaking news voice in the middle of this, but uh, we're kind of just standing by on all the labor stuff and we'll get into all of that. But first, how, how are you guys? How was your weekend? Ryan, your, your voice is a little raspy. Yeah, my voice is kind of shot because Liverpool won a cup on Sunday and it was a very exciting game and I may have been doing a little singing up at Three Lions Pub in Shorewood um, <laughs> in celebration of said winning and uh, happiness. So um, when I say singing, it was really more shouting than singing, um, to which my wife can attest. And I think our friend who is now like, she, this was her first like soccer match at a pub where people were like rooting for a team. And this is now her favorite thing in the world. Uh, she she just wants to go to more of these, and I did kind of dissuade her from the idea that uh, this is uh, this is not what it's like every time. This is special because it was a championship. You know, a, there was a trophy on the line in the game, and they won. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty exciting, and it was it was nice to be in that sort of environment again and feel pretty safe given the COVID numbers and all that. So it was it was nice yeah. to do that. Well, nice. You didn't Very scare nice. off your friend. And now I feel like we need to say, if you want to hear Ryan sing a soccer chant or something, give us a five-star review and, and we'll make <laughs> Ryan sing a soccer chant. I don't know. I mean, you got to, you got to get a couple beers in me and uh, you got to give me, <laughs> got to give me something exciting to, uh, to get excited about before I'll lose that inhibition. Also, it helps to be around like a hundred other people who are, you know, screaming chants at the same volume. So, okay. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe we'll start watching the labor negotiations like that in a bar every time <laughs> Manfred walks past. Yeah, start searching in chance. All right. Uh, Paul, how you doing? Uh, how you I'm doing? all right. I got sick kids, so um, uh, never fun, always bad. And uh, we'll see when they go back to school. Don't, no results on COVID tests yet. So yeah. um, it's yeah. a runny nose. I feel like COVID usually manifests in other ways, not the runny nose. So I suspect it's just a cold. But you never know. We'll see. Might all be ill here for a little bit. Yeah. Never on a good the plus time side, that uh, I sang on purpose. So if you want to hear me sing on purpose, you can. Yes. You can yes. I should I should mention that, too. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the regular plugs, uh, an additional plug for Paul's cover, I guess, if you can call it that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, of Bo Burnham's uh, White Woman's Instagram, except it was Aaron Rodgers' Instagram. So uh, very Another Paul Noonan genius, I should yes. say. You can you can find that over at Acme Packing Company or just over on YouTube. If you search for Aaron Rodgers' Instagram, it comes up quite quickly. And uh, <laughs> it's a good one. Um, JR helped fix some um, writing problems I had with it and did a great job doing that. So oh. it turned out quite well. He gets the co-writing credit for when that goes platinum. <laughs> he definitely does. Awesome. And I will say this is one where the visual aids really make it. So yeah, uh, yeah. it helps to watch the YouTube video. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I guess while we're plugging things, a reminder, you can become a patron, help support us at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Uh, that'll get you 
two bucks a month uh, question priority here on this podcast, as well as the reporting as eligible Packers podcast uh, throughout that Packers offseason there. Five bucks a month gets you the extra content. You get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson, uh, which is looking like it might be the only baseball for a while. So uh, you might want to sign up for that just to get some regular baseball talk. Uh, you also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers offseason as well and uh, various musical musings along the way. <laughs> so uh, be sure to sign up there. That's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. All right. Uh As we mentioned off the top, still no deal here as I check my phone again. And yep, no alerts from Evan Drellich. So we'll we'll just keep an eye on Twitter. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, this was supposed to be deadline day and and lots of negotiating back and forth. It's been a long day. Uh, They're going on what, like 11 or 12 hours here. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, they're at least working at it and they're exchanging proposals, I guess, uh, for a snapshot in time here as we sit here. The latest is uh, we're kind of just waiting to see if there's going to be an extension, right? Because MLB imposed this deadline, so to speak, of uh, February 28th. Uh, <laughs> and Paul's laughing already because you can't just, you know, it's like declaring bankruptcy, right? I declare a deadline. and It is. Yeah. It, so, it is the Michael Scott, I declare bankruptcy. In a nutshell, <laughs> the, the owners cannot unilaterally declare that games will be missed. That needs to be bargained. It, it, it exactly. is uh, it is a, a mandatory subject to bargaining, and so their deadline is stupid, um, like a lot of what they've done. So yeah. yeah. So I deadline. guess as easily as they say there's a deadline, they could just say, "Hey, we're close enough. We'll come back tomorrow. We made enough progress." And I think maybe that's the hope as we sit here right now. Uh, although Evan Drellich from the Athletics says they're still very far apart on key aspects <laughs> of the deal. Uh, as we've been talking about that, that um, basically that the tax threshold is still the the issue. Uh, they're still really far apart there. Uh, there's still issues with the pre-R bonus pool that we've talked about. Uh, and MLB still pushing for this 14-team playoff, which I think everybody here hates the idea of. The players have said they're willing to do 12 teams. So it sounds like either way, there's going to be expanded playoffs eventually. Uh, but I guess basically the play here is that uh, there's been an attempt to basically tie the level of uh, or number of teams in the postseason with the level of uh, these bonus pools, right? So MLB is proposing two options. You either get the 12-team expanded postseason, about a $675,000 minimum wage level, and $20 million into a pre-arb pool, Uh and if they go for the 14-team route, the offer is increased all the way up to $700,000 for a minimum <laughs> wage and $40 million for the pre-arb pool. So obviously, you know, they're, they're going to try to say here that, hey, with that added revenue from the expanded playoffs, we'll share some of that with you. But the obvious issue with the players, uh, right, Paul, is that this is still like tiddlywinks compared to yeah. what the league is going to get in the expanded playoffs either way. Everybody in these negotiations can do math. Like, this is not 1979. Um, the player side has people who can work spreadsheets and, and you know, better than that. And <laughs> you can't just pull fast ones. It's ridiculous. Uh, I, I I did tweet today. I, I'm not sure what the owners think their end game is here because the lack of serious proposals is a problem. I now think I do know what it is. But uh, <laughs> it uh, they still... Same, nothing's changed here. They still haven't made a serious offer. 
Um, they must be getting somewhere because I think the players would have walked away tonight if it was just the same old nonsense. So there must be something happening. But uh, all accounts are still that they're really far away on the important things and um, working into the night to not solve important things is usually not a great idea either. So um, I, I did see many people speculating, Eugene included, that uh, part of this working into the night may just be setting themselves up for um, bad faith, good faith arguments later. If you're the one who calls off negotiations, that's um, sometimes they strike against you and it can be used against you as hey, we were willing to stay all night to get this done and they, they left and that's not good faith. So you don't want to be the people to do that. And I think that might be where we are right now. Um, because by so by most accounts that we have, there's not serious progress being made, but they're still grinding this thing out. So I don't think any it's a little bit of a game of chicken going on, is my guess. Maybe they'll extend it till tomorrow. Maybe there are some some things that have happened, but uh, it's still not looking great. It's uh, looking same old owner bullshit that's been going on all this whole time so far. Yeah, and there are some things to get like at least our interest peaked a little bit. Uh, I mentioned on Sunday night on Twitter that I did really find the owners or sorry, the players uh, starting to talk about a ghost win, (laughs) the ghost win, (laughs) the ghost win thing. I'm like, that is extremely interesting because we've been talking about that on this podcast for what, four months now, that that basic idea of playing a weighted playoff series where you give a substantial advantage to the team who finished with, you know, winning the division or having the better record or whatever. And so that will still encourage teams to spend to win because that's the main thing that players are and should be worried about with owners here is that the more you expand the playoffs, uh, the more you dilute the value of a playoff spot and the, the less incentive you give owners to seek that money, right? And so you are... Uh, you're you're decreasing the marginal value of each win. Like we already saw this happen with the when they added the extra playoff game or the extra playoff team in 2012 when they added the the second wild card. Yep. What that did was it essentially made uh wins say 88 through 91. Yes, it made, you know, 87 88 wins more valuable than it had been because that gave you a chance, but it devalued 91 92 wins because that was where the the wild card first wild card team often ended up. And at that point, you're now playing a playing game the same as if you win 87 or 88, right? So, it, it by by dragging that down, and the owners are not stupid about this. They know because basically all of them now use the same math to determine what they're going to do in terms of spending. They know that the more playoff teams they add, the less incentive there is for any one of them to spend, which is why if the players are going to agree to this, weighting it so that there is a true advantage for more wins throughout the win spectrum is a big win. And so I hope they stick to that. I know that people, I saw a lot of Insta reactions to that. Like, what the hell is this? Like, this is terrible. You know, like basically not <laughs> quite getting it or just being being uncomfortable with this idea because it seems weird and wacky. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you live with it a little bit and you think about what it's really doing, you want to incentivize teams to win because we live in a world now where owners are not incentivized enough to win because they can make a huge profit without winning. See Bob Nutting and the Pittsburgh Pirates. They can make a shit ton of money without winning. Mm -hmm. We need to get this so that there is more incentive tied to winning 
they need to, there's more money to be made the more you win. And of course the owners, and this is a big part of why I think if you're still on the fence about this, and I doubt you'd be listening to this if you really are, <laughs> but just in case there's We've somebody out there. We've driven you away at yeah. this point if you're not. Yeah, all but right. Just in case, think about it this way. The owners want to ensure a world where they turn a profit no matter what. That is yep. their main goal here is to ensure profits. They want to eliminate costs everywhere they possibly can and to ensure profits no matter if they're successful or not successful. That is their goal here. Yep. And the players, for their part, would like to incentivize spending to win. And, like, yes, I get it if you're a small market fan. You know, you're a fan of a team in the small market like the Brewers. There's some scariness that goes with that. But we've talked a lot. If you want to know why that's something you shouldn't really worry about, it, go back and listen to last week's episode because we talked all about that. But you know, it basically, it comes down to the fact of the matter is there is not uh, – every team in baseball is basically capable of, of spending a lot more than they are. And they're choosing not to right now because they can get away with it. And so we're in kind of an anti-competitive situation where the owners are not truly competing with each other to win. They're all spending yep. less than they, they really could. And that's not a healthy spot for the sport to be in. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's really yeah. not. Yeah. It, and I think part of the, the craze headed up to this deadline, right, is like this push. Nobody supposedly wants to miss opening day right obviously it, it's a bad pr hit for well, everybody involved uh, but all <laughs> i know you specifically have done a little bit of digging on why maybe the owners are willing to punt say the first month and a half or so over the season i mean there's a reason why uh, they're maybe willing to sacrifice some games here right yeah and a lot of people on baseball twitter came to this realization about two minutes before I did, so I feel stupid about it. But uh, um, I tweeted today, like, when you go into these negotiations, usually you model out scenarios in how, like, how you want to achieve your goal. And the owner's on-the-surface goal looks to be getting the getting playoff revenue, keeping everything else a little bit lower. Um, but uh, you want those expanded playoffs for that extra money. And modeling this out with that goal in mind, it would be, okay, here's what the players want. We're willing to go to this level to get what we want. We still see that as profitable. Ideally, we'd want to go less than that. Um, that's not what's happened. They've been pro proposing a bunch of like weird little tiny piddly crap that doesn't move the needle at all. And so I, I was like, what are they doing? What, <laughs> this seems to have no goal in mind. Um, they have good attorneys. Their attorney should be advising them better. I got nudged by people um, behind the scenes, like maybe you should think about this a little harder. Um, and uh, yeah, so th here's the thing. Um, so not all baseball months are cr created equally, and especially for a team like the Brewers or anybody in the upper Midwest uh, or in the um, East Coast area, um, April games aren't as good to go to. They don't draw as well, typically. Right. Um, and interest really does ramp up for baseball over the summer when it's nice out, kids are off school, um, there's more outdoor entertainment, there's more gathering around, there's more having baseball in the background. Those first few months just don't draw as well. I don't have numbers on ratings, but I, I would wager they don't TV rate as well either. Um, there's more competition early in the season with um, basketball still kind of, well, basketball's still there in full force. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's uh, playoff basketball ramping up. And if you're putting on a game for the owners, um, you still have to 
have all the concessionaires there. You still have to have all the parking attendants there. You got the same costs for every game, but you don't have the same number of people in the gates. So um, the owners threatened to get rid of up to the first month of the season. Those are games they don't necessarily want. And especially if they can trade them for additional playoff games with huge TV contracts um, and, well, mainly huge TV contracts, not anything else. You get more, <laughs> get more gate, too, but not, not for as many teams. But uh, it's probably a trade they're willing to make. They've made noise over the last few seasons with COVID where they're kind of happy to not have those games, where they've been fine saying things like, oh, we can't possibly get started in time for those early games. We'll, <laughs> we'll just put it off and we'll wait till later on. Um, and I think it's becoming more and more clear that one of the things that they would like is a shorter season where they don't have to pay for as many games. And um, if they can get the bigger TV deal at the end, that that's a win for them. So. Yeah, and it's important to remember historically, what is Jackie Robinson Day? It's April 15th. That was yeah. when baseball used to start. It, it used mm-hmm. to start a half a month later than it does now. And that was you know, just the standard at the time. And that was because, one, they were playing fewer games. They were at 154 instead of 162. But also they were scheduling in more double headers and, and compressing yeah. the season that way, too. But now, this, is, this is all there's historical precedent for all this. Yeah. So and if you model this out from the owner's perspective, so let's say let's assume that that theory's right, that they're okay losing the first, you know, X number of games of the season. Um, they can just do this. They can do this nonsense, you know, don't give the players anything to agree to. Um, wait until like April 1st rolls around and then either start to seriously bargain or even go so far as to end the lockout. And if they do that, um, the players could play under the old contract, as we've said many times, um, which is an option. They could also strike. And if they strike, they suddenly become the bad guys in this. Um, mm-hmm. They get far less sympathy if they're locked out. Um, and it might be a good idea to strike tactically. But if they do it, the owners get a big tactical advantage over them. Um, if they play under the contract the whole season, the owners can come back again next offseason. Now with data. Now with data of, oh, he, hey, we missed 22 games. Uh, we had a 140-game season. Uh, we made all this revenue. You guys got extra rest. You got to not waste your pitching so much. You're all healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, hey, maybe we should just run with this. They can make that case to the public. I think they can probably do a credible job of it. And that might be in their long-term interest. So there are definitely incentives here for ownership to intentionally miss the first little chunk of the season here. Um, and so, some good can come of it for them. So I think um, you're kind of seeing that already too, right? With like the stuff, at least today, of like the 14 team playoffs still being pushed and yep. everybody's like, why play 162 games if you're going to let half the damn league into the playoffs anyway, right? So that may open up some taste, I guess, for like... 140 games, 154, yeah, whatever I, you want to do. I should also say this theory is not my theory. Lots of people came up with yeah. it. I think it was, it was James James Tyon, Talion. I don't know how you say his last name. Oh, oh Tyon. James Tyon. Tyon. Yeah. Yeah. James, yeah. Ty- James Tyon like, basically called the owners out for doing specifically this. So um, it is a very real possibility. So there are some some things to consider with this. One, if they if ownership were to decide to do this, if they wanted to push for this in, say, a delayed collective bargaining agreement that maybe gets pushed to next year, like you're kind of hinting at, right, Paul? Yep. Okay. 
they would have to settle what happens to the existing contracts because those existing those existing contracts call for Christian Yelich to get paid X dollars over 162 games. Well, yep, they do. What, what would happen to those contracts? Of course, ownership would say, "Well, we'll pay you the prorated amount. We will we will pay you less than than that amount because we're playing fewer games, so you should get fewer dollars." So I believe they would try to do that. I think they would lose. Um, uh, the contract signed anticipate 162 games. It's written into the the pre-existing contract that they play 162 games, and there's no uh, there, there, the, the owners can't just unilaterally get rid of games. They just can't do it. That, that's something that needs to be agreed to. If they play under the old contract and the the players don't want to give them prorated, then they will not get prorated. <laughs> right. And the thing is, this all has to be collectively bargained was the point I was getting to is this yes, would all have absolutely. to be worked out in whatever deal. Right. And that would be a hugely contentious issue. Like, like it was in 2020. <laughs> like it was. Ex- thank you, James. It would you know, like exactly like it was in 2020. So that would be a huge contentious issue. And I don't necessarily have anything against the idea of I don't want to see it drop much below 154 because I'm a numbers nerd. And like there's historical precedent for 154, you know, over the going back to pre what was that 1961 when like expansion happened, like that was the year that they went to 162, I believe. So 154 is a number that historically matches in baseball. And that's perfectly fine with me. You start going down into the 140s like. You're, you're changing a lot of things. Nobody's ever going to get to the accumulation numbers ever again. And maybe they right. weren't anyway, but nobody's ever getting to those accumulation numbers again. So that that does sort of change things a little bit. I, I would prefer to see more. And I think, you know, a big part of this is just owners don't want to pay the money. And they, they want to uh, make – this is all about maximizing profits and minimizing losses and doing anything you can to streamline and squeeze every last dollar out. And I guess, you know, I, again, like losing eight games, I don't really care. But at the same time, you know, I, I hate giving into that kind of greedy, <laughs> horrible, just it, myopic yeah. mindset. And it's not even necessarily that, like, baseball should have 162 versus 154. I just hate to – give in on that point so much but i think i think it is a good point i think that once again we are seeing that ownership is the side here that doesn't care if all the games get played that was the case in 2020 and that is the case now in 2022 they are the ones willing to sacrifice games and let's not be too uh sanguine about this because the reason the players want to play the games is that's how they get paid so they're Mm -hmm. you know they want to play 162 because their contract says they need to get paid for 162. So that's what their their interest is here. But if they do go that route, I would like to see something. Bringing it back to this year, I think that there is an interesting thing going on. Did you guys catch the news? I, I tweeted it out a little while ago, but I don't know if you saw this, that the players have decided to open up a facility fully staffed. So yep. presumably with full medical, yep. with full training, yep. with all that where players can go get ready for the season. And I think that is brilliant. That is an absolute mm-hmm. masterstroke by the players to do this because what it does in this moment, at least for a little while, this doesn't matter maybe in three weeks, but over the next week or two, they can credibly go to MLB and say, and go to the public and say, hey, we're getting ready for a season on March 31st. If you yep. want to delay it, we're going to be ready. So if you want to delay it, then that's on you. And you get to explain to the fans why they don't get their opening day on March 31st. And that is a pretty powerful tactic. And I think it has a pretty good chance of, of working. 
if they can credibly pull it off. Now, to make that work, I think you have to have enough player buy-in. There needs to be a significant number of players showing up in whatever this is, Mesa, Arizona, or whatever. Sure. But I think enough players live in that area anyway and would be happy to go work out and hang out with, you know. Totally. I think I think that, and also as a solidarity thing to show, hey, this is our way of sticking it to the owners and, and oh, yeah. pointing out, we're ready to go. This is on you. If we're not playing on March 31st, that is because of you, not because yeah. of us. Well, that's also a, a smart play too, because part of the reason why I think losing some spring training games is a big deal is like that impacts like entire economies in Arizona and Florida, mm-hmm. right? So like uh, then you build some goodwill in those communities. Maybe you open it up to fans and say, hey, come see Bryce Harper and Shohei Otani face off, you know, in like a scrimmage or what batting practice or whatever, you know, like you can still kind of appeal to the fans that way. That is a pretty smart move overall. So, open it up I, for I like free. Just yep. say, hey, we're we're happy to have people come in and, you know, and, and watch. And yeah, I think yeah. that you, you have <laughs> yep. some massive PR potential for just some it's big just, time wins. It's so easy to do that kind of thing now versus last time labor. Had, like it's so easy to broadcast something and organize this right. and, and have um, like just popular players do the announcing. Like you have Manning cast as a, as a model for how this might even be entertaining. Sure. You might even be able to get a TV sponsor, although I kind of doubt it because um, they would ESPN never do wouldn't want to piss off MLB. You wouldn't get ESPN, but I mean, yeah. you could maybe get something that doesn't deal in sports normally that's looking for some content. That's sure. I think your wheelhouse there. But uh, content's it, always a premium. So there you go. Exactly. So it's the kind of thing that could l- realistically happen, and there's nothing stopping them from doing it. And it's honestly something they should do just for PR purposes. Yeah, absolutely. That goes back to. <laughs> Again, the league not marketing the players. The players are marketing themselves, but that's like a really genius and I think like a cool way to get younger fans involved too. I mean, look back at some of the NBA work stoppages or whatever. You've got like NBA players playing pickup games in New York and stuff, and that generates the buzz and that kind of thing. I think something in that vein could be really, really successful for the players as well. Well, And especially the narrative of if you open it up for free, if you open up, if you find a way to stream it live for free, if you open up the gates for free for people to come and watch, you are (laughs) countering the narrative that you are greedy. You're literally giving away this and saying, we're willing to let you come in and watch this for free. They should, their tagline should be, so now broadcasting at Major League Baseball players now broadcasting for free, even in Iowa. And then they should just have they should literally just have like a guy in a cornfield in Iowa, like, like Mike Trout in a cornfield in Iowa. Like we're in Iowa now. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. And to be clear, we're not talking here about like doing a full season and whatever. We're not talking about trying to come up with some sort of alternative to MLB. That would be very expensive and would require a lot of whatever. This is more about a short-term thing. You can do the spring training vibe in this way. Like you can capture that and it's not the same markets that regular baseball is, but you can, you can do that good with this, this plan. And I, I think capture a lot of the people who just like to have green grass on in the background during the day while yeah. everybody stays loose like me. And uh, yeah. yeah, I will eat that up. So they should definitely yeah. do that. See, Absolutely. Bryce Harper, you could do that. You don't have to go and sign with the Yomiuri Giants uh, like you mm-hmm. tweeted out today. That's yeah, <laughs> that was great, too. All right. Uh, despite Ryan's best efforts to get you to ask anything other than labor questions, <laughs> uh, we, we did get a few <laughs> Patreon uh, labor questions that we'll get to right now. Let's start with Aslatam. 
Um, and, and they're asking, sorry, but I gotta ask a labor question. When you talk about the quote unquote negotiations, could you address Andy Martino, uh, New York writers tweet that there are an anti Steve Cohen block of small market owners who are driving the hard line on the competitive balance tax. Paul, is that a thing? Do you Yes, think? it is a thing. Um, there's definitely a small market, large market divide. It's not as serious as it used to be because a lot of the large market guys are just finance guys who don't really care to win. But Steve Cohen is mentioned here for a reason. And, and that is because he is one of the rare, I would say, old-timey rich guy owners who I think would spend above and beyond what everybody else is spending just to win yep. titles. And uh, that that is definitely a, a contentious area within ownership. Um, baseball works hard to keep guys like Steve Cohen out. And um, there aren't as many as there used to be for sure. There are still some, um, but uh, the small market guys, and, and you know, we say this from a small market perspective, drive a lot of anti-labor stuff and uh, really do care about the expansion of costs in the nickel and diming here much more than everybody else does. They are the bad guys to a large extent, uh, which is kind of the opposite narrative. I mean, they're the, the non-billionaires billionaires. They're rich. They're the rich guy versus really rich guy. And this in this case, the really rich guys are rich enough that they can actually just play the game for fun. And uh, baseball doesn't like that because it costs them money. So um, mm -hmm. that is a divide. And the small markets are mostly running things right now. Dick Monfort is in ostensibly in charge of things. <laughs> I for the still owner. don't know how that happened, but yeah. Yes. Um, he's the head of their labor negotiations group, which is, uh, I, I don't even know what to say about that. It, it, but, <laughs> <laughs> We've already said a lot about it a few weeks back. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, that's the, there's definitely a battle behind the scenes. We don't know what it looks like, but uh, I think it, it'll be interesting to see what happens if it gets really seriously long because Steve Cohen just wants to, I, I don't think he cares as much about keeping costs down as the rest of the team. I'm sure he doesn't like them being higher, but I mean, I, I think he just wants the Mets to go out there and play and win. And, you know, if it costs him an extra, couple million who cares um whereas dick monfort's like this is paying for my you know my next yacht so i gotta be careful here um that's <laughs> kind of the difference and uh eventually if it goes on long enough i wonder if you'll, you will see the big markets throw their weight around a little bit more to get this going so uh, some things to think about here first off uh for those of you that have good memory and follow the nba at all which i really don't but i know enough to know that uh mark cuban was a very especially Early on in his days in the NBA, he came in and shook things up and really pissed off a lot of other owners. Yep. And a lot of that was because he was willing to just spend, spend, spend in ways that other owners were not, especially in ways that like to make the players comfortable to do yeah. certain things. He really made a lot of enemies within ownership for that. And so when he wanted to buy an MLB team, they were very Absolutely careful yes. to keep him the hell out of MLB yep. because they do not want people like that in their little club. They don't they do want people who... snooping around the Pirates or something? It I was thought it like, was the Cubs. Oh, maybe it was the... Yeah, I don't remember. I think it, it was, was the Cubs when the, um, uh, when the current group of assholes bought them. Um, and maybe when the Astros came up, too? I don't know. I, I'm maybe forgetting, it was. But yeah, it could I definitely... have been the Astros, too. That, that also makes sense when that asshole bought them. The Jim Crane, <laughs> Jim Crane war profiteer. <laughs> like some of the God, people, so bad. Some of the people that are involved are really, it was some really sketchy things in their history. It was the Cubs, by the way. It was it the Cubs? Okay. okay. Yep. I yeah. thought it was the Cubs when it was when the, um, Cubs, the Ricketts bought Cubs. them. 
I know I got a couple of you guys out there, Cubs fans. You could have had Mark Cuban instead of the Ricketts. That's uh, that's what baseball ownership group did to you. And yep. uh, <laughs> you should be mad about it every day. And the only reason, and people have pointed this out, was the only reason that they were able to get through the groups that did get through in uh, the Mets case and in the Dodgers case where you had very wealthy people who really didn't care. Remember when the Dodgers current ownership group came in and the first thing they did was like run the payroll to $300 million? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, they just the wanted Sox bad contracts and because yeah, exactly. they wanted to win and they wanted to make a splash and they wanted to send a message to the people of L.A. that, you know, this is not the, the new boss like the old boss here. They wanted to send yeah. a message on that. And they've been insanely successful as a result of the yes, way that they've done things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Even though they've spent less at the major league level. But anyway, I, I'm getting a, a little afield for my, my actual point here. Point was that MLB wanted to keep people like that out. The group that is listed in a tweet that is attached to this uh, Annie Martino tweet, they talk about the group of owners that are viewed or believed to be sort of part of this hardline group. And it's not all small markets. And I think it's important to kind of look at some of these owners here. Monfort, of course, is one of them. But as is so Bob Castellini of the Reds and Ken Kendrick of the Diamondbacks, which is not a small market, but they have always kind of behaved that They're way. They're basically a small market. Yeah, I mean, they shouldn't behave that way, but they kind of mostly have with a few exceptions. Um, but then you also have Artie Moreno and Jerry <laughs> Reinsdorf, two big market in two of the three biggest market, but they're the second club in those markets. You know, Yeah, and uh, you Chicagoans out there listening also know that the White Sox are not actually big markets. They're, in fact, a small market and uh, really the the true baby brother to the Cubs and don't draw nearly as well and don't rate nearly as well. So. <laughs> right. It's just true. Yeah. And, it's just true. <laughs> and so anyway, but you look at this group of owners that are sort of making this up and the main thing that you have from them is that they have histories of being assholes, basically like <laughs> and, and of running things poorly. Like they're, they're, of, bad, they're bad businessmen, I think, is the main thing. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the big I mean, thing. I Moreno specifically, right? Yes. Like, that's... Ugh. Yeah, like, I think with the exception of Jerry Reinsdorf, I think you could say Jerry Reinsdorf, at least at one point, knew what he was doing. But True. you look at some of the things that he did. It was him and Selig were the ones that really drove the collusion bus in the 80s. I don't know if people understand that in Milwaukee, but Bud Selig and Jerry Reinsdorf were the guys who were, along with the then-commissioner Peter Uberoff, they were driving the collusion train in the 80s that ended up getting ownership you know smacked with hundreds of millions of dollars in fines that they had to pay the players because they quite literally colluded to shut down the free agent market for what was it two off seasons yeah so that that was a thing and so you have that history Artie Moreno and his just like sort of mavericky ways out there and then just like Bob Castellini who's never had any clue what he's doing as the owner of the Reds and Kendrick kind of the same like these are these are kind of small minded men who don't really run things the way that anybody with you know a brain sort of would, especially Monfort. I mean, my God, <laughs> the Rockies. Yeah. And Jerry Reinstorf decided that Michael Jordan wasn't worth the money. So, you know, there's also that he, if that lends anything to his decision. Yeah, yeah, that did yeah. happen. So, yeah, this is not a. uh it, if these are the guys that are driving your uh, the 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 shutdown of a deal, like keeping a deal from happening, um, this is sort of the the 
chickens coming home to roost for MLB for being so uh, closed about who gets into their little club. You end up with turning over the fate of your sport to this collection of assholes, basically. <laughs> yep. There's been good articles, too. I think it might have been Rosenthal earlier today, too, who was kind of talking about that idea of groupthink. Or maybe it was an Ev- Evan Drellich piece from, you know, before the lockout even. But just how all these front offices, because it's a copycat league, have kind of ended up with the same front office people who coincidentally came through the commissioner's office, like David Stearns Mm -hmm. worked in the commissioner's office before he became a team executive. Uh, So that contributes to the group think. And then, yeah, like the selective ownership group, even if it's not intentional, you end up with a bunch of people who think the same way. And that's not really conducive to creative negotiations. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Next, uh, labor question we should get to is Mark Garby. <laughs> Paul, this one's all you. Can yeah, you explain, yeah. quote unquote, good faith and what that entails? You kind of mentioned that before. Why can't either side just pick what they'll accept and not punch off that? <laughs> all right. So this is an, I'm, I apologize in advance because the answer to this is annoying um, because there's not a, <laughs> there's not a bright line answer because just like every legal but, answer is because of, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. exactly. Because of shenanigans. So, um, the best way to illustrate what bad faith bargaining is is to just illustrate the extreme of um, everybody has uh, the two sides have a an obligation to negotiate certain things the, the economic aspects of the game um, if the ownership just um, received a proposal from the players and just ignored it and did nothing made no counters and just let time run out that would obviously be bad faith they didn't do anything that they were obligated to do um, that never happens, of course. What we get instead is something called surface bargaining, a legal term of art. And surface bargaining means bargaining about stupid bullshit that doesn't care in an attempt to not bargain about the things that actually matter, but appear to be bargaining about the things that matter. And um, Eugene so- Friedman was saying today that some of the stuff still going on at this point appeared to be very surface bargaining. Yeah, there's a lot of surface bargaining. Surface bargaining looks a lot like what the owners have done so far, where they're making you know weird proposals where bonus pools are tied to nonsense and there's picks involved, but avoiding the core issues that players care about and uh, avoiding actually any give and take on those issues, any serious bargaining on those. Uh, just in case it comes up later, the other big surface bargaining um, or bad faith bargaining that happens a lot is a sudden change right at the end where you're close to a deal and then one side just brings up Oh, we can't do it because of this thing we've all been ignoring and is a huge deal now that we just we just discovered right now. That's also <laughs> bad faith bargaining. You're not allowed to do that. Um, but it's hard to prove. And it requires a finding of fact by an actual judge. And those don't those are, are not always predictable. So it's easy with lawyers, it's actually easy to deal with the law. The law is usually pretty clear. Whenever you have to deal with facts, it's harder. And you actually have to make a case at surface bargaining. So it's not in cut and dry thing. And in this case, I think I didn't know that, Paul, that last thing that you brought up about a, a big kind of switch at the end. And God, that looks a lot like what's been happening with the CBT thing where they wouldn't talk about it, wouldn't talk about it. Nobody was addressing it. Nobody was addressing it for the longest time. Right. And yet it was from what everybody could tell, this was going to be the biggest fighting point of this negotiation. Once yeah. they got rid of some of the other stuff that that CBT threshold, how that was going to be worked out is the issue. 
And until recently, there was like no movement on it. Like they were moving like literally by like a million dollars at a time. This yeah. Ridiculous non-movement going on. So yes, that is that actually does raise a level of concern for me. I didn't know that before. <laughs> and great, I have another thing to be concerned about as far as this goes. That's fantastic. That's just <laughs> what I needed. Um, I going back to the the just sort of overall point of this. I think that the the term you know bad faith good faith bargaining gets thrown around a lot and i think mlb in this case has been basically would you say they've been trying to tread as close to that line as they can get away with without like running afoul of it yeah i, I would say they've been clumsily attempting that uh, and <laughs> i i mean i don't think they've i don't think they've actually pulled it off i actually think if they were we're not there yet there's still time but if they are part of a hearing where they're accused of bad faith, I actually think there's a good chance they'll lose at this point. Um, it's easy for the players to point to what the actual key issues are. Um, and by the way, one of the, uh, again, legal nonsense, but one of the things that courts do in the case of uh, good faith and bad faith is look at the, the totality of the facts. This is the, the owners can't just say, well, over the last 14 days or a month, we've looked at these things hardcore. Um, the players will be able to, to point back to their COVID negotiations and to um, the last CBA to give context to uh, the import of their economic concerns. And a court has to consider that. Um, and, and so it's not a, as simple as the owners being able to sort of focus everything on what's happened lately. That's one of the reasons it's been extra clumsy because the players will be, I think, easily able to prove that a lot of the owners um, proposals are just around the periphery and not a core issue to the game. Um, so the owners have been trying to do that, I, I do think, but not a very good job of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too, is that um, and maybe something I didn't realize is that if it does come down to a good faith, bad faith argument that they could use something beyond this. And, you know, there's been plenty of pieces in the recent days, weeks, months kind of pointing back to CBA negotiations going back to like 2011 and how, yeah, maybe the players may have bungled some things there, but also that the owners had very clearly, you know, not strayed too far from that original agreement 10 years ago. Yeah. So I don't think we'll get to this point either, but it, the uh, good faith is important for the terminus of negotiations. Uh, if ownership gets to a point where negotiations are impossible and they have negotiated in good faith, they are allowed to implement their last best offer. That is labor law. It is to keep, things moving in this country um but that's contentious and um this has all been bullshit and they won't be able to prove that but that is also what they're always shooting for is uh, enough negotiation that they can pull that out as a bargaining tool as hey we're going to implement now and we think we can um they don't have that yet but that's always in their back pocket any chance they can find the right judge uh there's yeah. always there's always a chance you can find the right judge um it uh it's always possible but it's not it's not as easy as you getting to pick your judge you, you don't um uh, <laughs> and uh it, it's risky to re rely on the the luck of the draw there okay for sure all right uh one last labor patreon question comes from nick h who's saying firstly i want to express how much i've actually been enjoying the labor talk <laughs> well thank you nick <laughs> <laughs> obviously we all wish we were talking about trades and acquisitions etc but i appreciate your perspectives on the matter 
with regard to the ever increasing possibility that the start of the season is delayed or that the season ends up being less than 162 games. Can you shed light on how MLB teams media contracts would be affected? Obviously teams will miss the gate revenue from games not played, but how much are they to lose out if there are no games to broadcast? And I guess this is something guys I haven't really thought about. And I guess I don't know the answer to, I have a little bit of an answer to this. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit in the, um, in the gray area, these contracts were written um, and they're not really public. You know how hard it is to find out like how much uh, the Brewers TV contract is worth. You know, they really jealously guard that information now because yep. people were pointing to it and going at first it, when it, when the TV bubble first started, it was like owners were bragging about the money. Like, look how much money we're getting in TV contracts. Yeah. And then it was like everybody kind of looked at that and went, so you're making that much money, huh? And now you're crying poor. <laughs> yep. So they they that sort of backfired on them. So they got a lot less forthcoming with that information. So you don't get a lot of details on this. But one thing we do know and I, I'm sorry I can't cite my sources on this, but heard it discussed on multiple podcasts and on Twitter. We do know that over the 2021 season, one of the things that MLB was doing was they were rebating for lost games in 2020. Um, for those in their local market deals with, you know, now some teams own in whole like their their network or whatever. If you own the YES network or whatever, this is it's a less of an issue. But if you are in a contract with, say, Bally Sports to provide a certain number of games, um, those teams have had to give rebates back and have had to, like, I think basically the way some of these contracts have been structured is they were basically getting free games in 2021 for money that had been lost in 2020. For money that had had been paid, but the, the, the TV contractors hadn't gotten any money back on that. So it's a little bit complicated and fuzzy here, but yes, there is some of that going on. If teams do not provide the the games they're supposed to, eventually they do lose out on money on that. Yep. Which, uh, yeah, you oh, talk about the NFL a few years ago because that's that's where I was going with this, Paul. Oh, and uh, I was not actually. I was I was gonna say um, COVID. That was that's a weirder one. That probably involves some insurance that's unforeseen. Um, but labor negotiations also are often contemplated in these contracts because um, you, when you make these, any any good lawyer, and I mean it's going to be standard in any sports contract, will look ahead towards the end of any CBA and write some clauses to account for the possibility of lost games. Um, there is probably a certain level of discounting. There is probably a certain level of acceptance that it might happen. And there is probably a certain level of if X happens, then you owe us back Y for it. And uh, it's just a matter of how much occurs. If you lose a whole season, you can't keep all the money. If you lose a quarter of a season, maybe you can keep all the money. Uh, it's just, a you know, it's going to be bargained in there and it's going to be mostly taken care of in advance. Uh, TV, People don't like losing games um, and uh, would rather put them on than, than have refunds happen. And there's probably some pressure that happens there. But uh, this is all contemplated in their contracts. And usually there is a set methodology for determining exactly what the team has to return for lost games for labor. Yeah, what I was going to point out was the last time the NFL got close. Remember when there was, there was a lockout, right? And they almost went into uh, training camp, but then it got didn't get settled on like July 25th or something like it was it was uh, pretty late in the game. Yeah, yeah. NFL like, labor is trickier. But yeah, I recall that it, this was like in the 
in the mid-teens, maybe, like in 2013, 14. I, I'm sorry, I can't cite it. I yeah. just remember there being a lot of talk at that time that the NFL had somehow managed to negotiate a contract with the TV networks that allowed them to still get paid, even if they didn't put on games because of a uh, thing, that the TV networks were so desperate for doing this that uh, the owners were were insured against losing money in the event. Now, I'm sure they would have lost some of it eventually. Like the, Some of this would have had to be repaid down the road, whatever. But basically, I remember this, this discussion at the time being that the owners were going to get their TV money no matter what. And that being a major point where the union basically looked at it and said, well, if they have that in their back pocket, we they have such ammunition f- behind them. We really can't win anything here. Yeah. And that's that is the thing, of course. And we've talked about this again and again and again and again to reiterate what the owners want is to make sure that no matter what happens, they make money. That is that is their goal is to ensure that they make money no matter what happens. Come hell or high water, they want to make money. And that is what they are fighting for. And <laughs> like that's and they're very good at it. Like that's you know, that's the thing, because they, they all got to be billionaires for a reason, though. Some of them got to be billionaires because they were born to the right parents but you know enough of them got to be billionaires for reasons that and they certainly can afford smart enough people and lawyers and whatever to to help them continue to be billionaires right so yeah right (sighs) yeah (laughs) deep sigh there yeah absolutely all right before we move on to other patreon questions i guess i should mention keeping an eye on the twitter tonight oh boy uh, it seems like uh according to evan drellich some reps from mlb walked across that parking lot the famous parking <laughs> lot on the player side so we have that play-by-play and then they uh went back after a so, few minutes so do you guys, I, I, do you guys know where they are they're in they, jupiter they're at the cardinals spring training complex okay, of course like, it's at the cardinals spring training so, complex yep so just like I think ownership probably regrets this immensely because usually when you do this, uh, like if you are doing these kinds of negotiations, usually you're in a Marriott, right? Uh, in a hotel <laughs> or something, right? And like, you're, you're in secret you, passages yeah, or something. And you're in a conference room and they're in a conference room. And then you've got a, med- a middle conference room where you meet to go and do the negotiations. And you do that, nobody sees anything. And so you don't like. Nobody knows what happened. You can just walk out and be like, oh, we spent X hours doing this. And nobody can say anything other than that. But with this, like, we know exactly what's going on because anytime they have to talk, they walk across a a parking lot. It, like, actually takes away from some of their narrative ability. Does it? Yeah, I think so. I I, I would argue the other direction. Yeah, they're going back and forth. So they can say, hey, we made a, a good faith effort. We walked back and forth. 12 times on February 28th, and there's still no deal. This Wait. screams eyewash to me, Paul. It screams eyewash <laughs> that they want to look like they're doing something. Rob Manford wants to be seen walking back and forth, back and forth, because then it looks like I'm doing something. I am participating in a bargaining process. It screams like eyewash to me. They've done it so many times already today that I, I feel like they would have left if it was just eyewash at this point. Um, and now, now it's turned into concern that I haven't walked across enough. And, uh, and and we'll c- continue to eat away at them for the rest of the night if they walk away too early and are not seen walking across the parking lot so much. Uh, it it yeah. puts way too much information on display. The, the, like it's a 
well, they might want to communicate whatever they want to communicate, but by us being able to see it in the first place, uh, we can make judgments about, did they spend enough time over there? Uh, how do they look in the parking lot? <laughs> what what kind of cars yeah. are they driving? Yeah, what, yeah, what cars are... Is that, there was a Tesla in the background. Who does that belong to? I, just, I, was, I, I will just tell you... I, this, if I was doing this, this would be too much information for for my taste to release to the public to mm. to let them see. I would want to be able to control the narrative as to what I did and how long I was there. I could, I could stay in the hotel conference room for eight hours. That's fine. Like, I, <laughs> Do you not I have don't... phones that have conference call abilities on the other side? Like, yeah, I don't I don't know. That's why it's it screams eyewash to me because there's so yeah. many better ways to do this. Also, the fact that they're doing it up, so at a ballpark. Yeah, but, well, this whole fucking thing is stupid. Yeah. Like from the beginning, this whole thing has been insane and stupid, and it's been eyewash. It has been the eyewash from are the apparently beginning. Apparently, just chilling in the Cardinals clubhouse. I guess that's where they are. <laughs> that's I don't... awesome. Anyway, uh, though, all right. I mean, hold on. I just want to riff <laughs> for a second on this because. If you're going to pick a place that is pure distilled evil, where like the all the evils <laughs> of the universe just like exist in sort of a boiling, roiling, um, below just below the surface of the ground sort of way, picking the Cardinals facility in Jupiter, Florida, seems like a pretty good spot to go to if you want to just like get to the center of evil. It's like going to the um, yeah. what is the it's mountain the in there. Yeah. Well, it's like going to the mountain in uh, um, Lord of the Rings, right? Like, yeah, it's like, can we, can we can we do it at the Cardinals thing? No, more evil. What if we move the Cardinal? What if we move the Cardinals to Florida? Uh, okay, yes, that's it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh man! All right, we may uh, or may not be a little punchy at this point. Yeah, it, just delirious at this point. We've got nothing to really do, but make jokes and, and riff on this. All right. Other Patreon questions we should get to uh, before we get too long this week. Uh, PJ Wessels asking, what college teams should I watch instead? <laughs> NC uh, State. Yeah? That's yeah. your pick? Yes. Tommy okay. Tanks. Tommy Tanks. Tommy Tanks. Is that a real person? Uh, to- Tommy White, uh, better uh, known as Tommy Tanks. You there we go. watch him. Okay. I don't know college baseball at all other than... I don't know either. He, he's he's ben the one that's popped up. Is like what on Auburn or something. Tommy, Tommy Tanks has nine home runs and eight games. So watch him. Nice. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's not even with the old ping bats. So there you go. That's legit. Ryan, who who are you scouting? Yeah, who am I scouting? I've never really gotten into college baseball. I've talked about this before because uh, when I was like ten years old, the Badgers stopped having a college baseball team. Yeah, and that's how I relate to college sports is basically through the Badgers, and. <laughs> Frankly, I know a lot of people in my situation, like who are baseball fans and fans of the Badgers, get really mad about that decision. I'm very happy with it because I think college <laughs> baseball in the Big Ten is stupid. You're playing half the season in like an empty ballpark is. in Florida. Yeah. Like we're not supposed to be playing baseball in Wisconsin in February, March, <laughs> and you know, even like early April, not outside, not unless you've got really good groundskeeping or whatever. So for the, you know basically half the first half of the season would always be on the road and just screw that it's not it's not really a thing yeah yeah i'd say pick an sec team they're on espn all the time right so uh, sure i don't know yeah i mean you could you could go scout mississippi state and watch their yeah. pictures and find out who the next brewers draft who pick is going to be take. yeah like cuz exactly. we always take a, we always take a bulldog there's there's always a bulldog coming to the brewers so you could do that you could uh I don't know, like watch Vanderbilt because 
Uh, they have very good players always, and there's sort of a um, a, a snobbishness to them that's like the, the kind of duke <laughs> of the SEC that way. Well, so. yeah, they're the rich kids who just buy all the players. So there you go. That's yeah. that's how they get by. Yep. All right. Um, I guess in a similar vein, I'm going to skip ahead to Jay Google here, who's asking, who are you guys excited to see in minor league spring training? Because that's the only one we got right now. Ryan, who are you looking at? Uh, Hedbert and Joey. Those are my guys. That's that's what I want to see. I just acquired Hedbert in a league uh, last week as the, it was like the third piece in a trade, but just acquired Hedbert and uh, picked up uh, uh, Weimers in a uh, first year player draft last week also. So like those, those are my guys. I'm investing heavily in uh, their futures. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say anybody other than that. Uh, every Hedbert I can see is is my favorite. So, yes, we love some Hedbert here. Uh, I know, you know, Joey Weimer. We've we've kind of talked about. There's a lot of hype going into this year. I know the prospect lists are kind of gaining steam on him. Uh, yeah. Typical, I guess. If he was an NBA player, we call him three and D, right? Like he's home runs and and you know, maybe one other trick and, and that's about it. But well, he's uh, got, yeah. he's got some decent ability to, uh, to take walks and the strikeouts yeah. aren't out of hand. They're not It's <laughs> like one well, in, in today's game. That's largely yeah. kind of what you're looking at is you want to see strikeout rates that are closer to 20 than 30. Yeah. And you know, in an ideal world, it's in the, you know, the teens, but that's pretty uncommon. So yeah, you, you know, you're, you're kind of looking for something like that. And, and, Joey's not terrible in that respect. And Hedbert, we're really going to need to see something because uh, his stock has cooled considerably from where we were at this time last year. Sure. It's just the way it goes. Uh, he's looking more like he's a um, a corner outfielder than a center fielder. <laughs> well, okay. he's just looking more like he's a corner yeah. fielder than he is a center fielder. And at, if that's the case, then the bar for the offense is really high. And he, granted, he looked really good in short season ball in rookie ball but when he was faced with higher level of pitching a higher level of competition in a ball he looked hopeless he the strikeouts just exploded and he was not making contact and he is going to have to make adjustments on that to make that work sure all right i like joe i like joey because um one of the best brewer prospects of my era was joey meyer and it's like oh, it's like man. it's like upside down Joey Meyer name wise and uh, <laughs> the clone and yeah. like what what if Joey Meyer played in an era that cared about fitness um, I guess <laughs> what would what would have happened and I want to see that so it's amazing all right uh, moving on Mark Podscarby is asking is Jake Cousins the best bullpen option after Hader and Williams if so do you think they trust him with a major role or will they add someone from the outside. Similarly, do you expect Ethan Small to break into the bullpen this year and pitch high-intensity innings for them? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Jake Cousins is here, number three in the bullpen right now? Yes. And I guess I'm not going to say not close because they always find bullpen guys. But yeah, he is. And uh, I think deservedly so. He's got great stuff. And I think we'll have a bigger role in the future. Um, So definitely. And probably yes on Ethan Small just because I think they'll break him in as a reliever, like a long guy. I do think he is a starter in his future guy, though. And honestly, I think his stuff kind of plays better as a starter than a reliever, too. So I'm not the Brewers use everybody as reliever. It's not a big deal. They'll be fine. But uh, 
yes, I do see that as his role, but maybe not for very long. Um, if uh, a starting spot were to open at some point in the not too distant future for whatever reason, he'd be a candidate to fill it pretty quickly. Yeah, working backwards from what Paul said, uh, essentially everybody on the current team, with maybe the exception of Woodruff, but that entire yeah. rotation, they all did time in the bullpen early on yeah. in their big league career. Now, they didn't necessarily all break in that way. Freddie started at first, and then he bounced some to the bullpen, bounced a little bit back and forth between them. But basically everybody else, when Woodruff came up, he was a reliever off and on early on. Burns obviously was. Lauer yeah. saw time in the bullpen. Hauser saw time in the bullpen. All these guys, it's what they do, and it's a very good thing. It. Last year, Aaron Ashby saw a lot of time, even though he, his first start was a start. His debut was a start. He yep. spent a lot of time yep. in the pen after that. So absolutely. Working backwards to the Cousins thing, I would say yes in a with a huge caveat, which is you divide the Brewers bullpen into two lanes. One is the normal lane, and that is your lane with Josh Hader at the top and Devin Williams behind him. And I would say, you know, Cousins can fit right in there behind it. You know, Kirk's cousin. <laughs> Kirk's yeah, Kirk's cousin cousins yeah uh, yes yes, so, yes. So, uh, well he is. He, yeah. he's, he's he Kirk's is cousin. he is he is yes Kirk's cousins yeah Kirk cousins cousin <laughs> um but then on the other column you have to have Brent Suter because he's really good yeah but he it, is. It, it's just it defies all logic and reason and rationale but yeah I don't know I mean you guys. I know Paul does. I don't know how much you do, James. Uh, play a little fantasy baseball, and the wins that he picked up last year. Like, what did he have? Twelve wins. Like, <laughs> call him the vulture instead of the raptor, right? Because yeah, that's <laughs> that's about it. A yeah, vintage I'm, I'm season. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am uh, terrible at fantasy baseball. Well, I am too, but I still do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think was- I would still call Cousins the third best for sure. I, yeah. I'm really high on him and really think he could like take that step up to that next level if or when Josh Hader is moved yeah. elsewhere. So um, another another good pitching find for for the Brewers in the pitching lab and in the nerd cave, as we say. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Adam Post asking, depending on the extent to which the playoffs are further expanded and lessen the importance of the regular season, do you think there's a chance that a trophy or trophies could be created to award the teams with the best regular season records? I haven't followed hockey in a long time, but I recall the NHL having a trophy for the regular season champions. Paul, how about that idea? Do you they, do you want to it, see the Brewers hoist a 97-win regular season trophy? <laughs> I do, but they won't do it. Uh, <laughs> hockey trophies are great. They're all named after old British farts, and it's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, and every sport should do it. Um, of, uh, of course, the best hockey trophy that everybody knows is the Lady Bing trophy, which you get for sportsmanship, uh, which is fantastic. <laughs> and every every sport should have that for sure. So, yeah, I mean, they, they should do that because it does matter a lot. And, uh, like, I could see nerds eventually being like, well, you got this many trophies. That means you actually are doing, you're getting unlucky, the blah, blah, blah. There's lots of fun yeah. stuff that could, you could do with this. And, yes, it's a good idea, but it won't happen. It's not going to happen. The World Series, uh, the pennant is kind of that, but yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this is why I love the structure of European soccer because it allows for both a regular season, the Premier League season, you the top 20 teams play each other home and away, 38 games, whoever comes out with the most points of that wins. But then they also have these side competitions yes. that are 
involved that allow you to do a playoff and allow more teams to be involved and sort of gives a chance to everybody, including lower division teams. And that's cool, too. So it's nice it to cool. have both of them and have both of these things held up as you get a trophy for doing one thing and you also get a trophy for doing this other thing. And that, frankly, makes a lot of sense and would be you know, a better situation. But uh, for very many reasons, we're, we're not going to have that. <laughs> not going to have it. I love explaining the Champions League to Americans because oh, um, it, it, yeah. it always kind of goes the same way for me, which is... Um, okay, so it, all, all the European, the top European clubs play. It's like, oh, it's so like Spain plays Germany. Like, no, 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 not that. <laughs> it, it, it's all the private clubs from all the different countries play each other. Like, what, really? That that's a thing that happened. You can do that. Like, yes, you can. You can actually yeah. do that. And it's Your happening clubs, simultaneously yeah. to the league competition. The regular, yes, while it's going on, you just you take a day off and you go uh, play a different team from a different country, and that's a different yeah. tournament. Like. And you uh, qualify and based on how you did the season before. So it's not even it's like a two year process. You have to get into the Champions League in the year before. How much better would the World Baseball Classic be if instead of it was countries playing each other, it was uh, like the Brewers playing uh, a Japanese professional yeah, team say, or a Korean like, professional team? Yeah. Um, I would be completely down for that. That would be amazing. It's like the San Francisco Giants play the Dodgers and then, oh, wait, I got to peace out and play the Yomiuri Giants in Japan yep. or or whatever. Yep. And then we'll come back and play Seattle. It's, it's crazy like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. As, as somebody whose uh, day job recently started broadcasting UEFA in the middle of the day, uh, <laughs> I've had to have a lot of things explained to me and including the, the two leg system and, and all that stuff. And it, it's intriguing but I am a stupid American who and, gets confused easily. Ryan, what's the one where all the European teams play each other regardless of their division rank? Not European, English. All the English ones play each other. So um, there's two of those. That was the thing Liverpool just okay. won this weekend. What's was the one in Ted Lasso? <laughs> in season two? Yeah. I have not seen Ted Lasso season <laughs> oh, two because no. okay. my Apple TV subscription lapsed. So I need to get <laughs> on that and do that but anyway uh, um i forgot to cancel mine after watching season the two, one that's the so. equivalent of like all the minor league baseball teams playing yeah. against the major league teams. It, it, so the, they yeah. both are basically the same format the league cup starts a little bit earlier it starts in the the summer and ends just ended at the end of february here at wembley with liverpool beating chelsea for the league cup title currently and actually they're they're currently playing this off as well the fa cup which is a different cup and think, is essentially yeah. the same thing where you are if you are in English professional football at any level, so going down to like the conferences, which is like right. basically semi-pro teams, right? Yeah. these teams are allowed into the same competition. And if they can make it through their gauntlets early on, because they play some qualifying matches early, they sort of fight it out. And then the Premier League teams don't come in until like the third round. But the way that it works is they take all the teams and they randomly draw them. So Liverpool can draw Chelsea, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world, for their their third round match, the the first round they're playing in, or they could draw, you know, something, you know, Shrewsbury so Town in the fourth <laughs> division, right. and like I'm not making that up. There's Shrewsbury Town as a no, team. No, no, I, uh, no. I just I, I, I forget just the, the teams involved, but I I just remember watching that like the first time, and like Man City got like dragged way up north to some other uh -huh. garbage team's home play. And, and it was like 32 degrees and pouring rain, and there was like 400 people watching. <laughs> and I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe if you if you draw, you have to go back there and play again. 
Uh, you actually, it goes to the other team's home oh, it stadium. Does? Okay. All right. But actually, that can often be. Now, they don't do that. COVID has changed that. They they do ah. single matches right now. But the, the replay is a big deal. And there's there's this weird thing where you get these moments where teams that are, say, at home um, and they're they're taking on a titan of the game. And they're at home and they've got, you know, a full raucous crowd, but their full raucous crowd amounts to 7,000 people. Um, yeah. Their owners could actually sort of get in a situation where they're rooting not to win the game. They're rooting yeah, for the yeah, draw. Yeah, totally. Because they would very much like to go play at Anfield <laughs> against Liverpool and to get half that gate because that's yeah, how it works. Gate. You get half the gate. So yep. they would they would love to do that to make the money. And and this is why there's been a lot of discussion of getting rid of going from two cups down to one. But that would hurt disproportionately the smaller clubs. It yes. would really hurt the smaller clubs. So uh, it would be nice if we if we lived in a rational world where they had, <laughs> and we've talked about this, like if they had set up a situation where there was relegation and promotion and all of these teams, minor league teams were their yeah. own entities instead of being, you know, a satellite of a big league club, then, and they were, everybody was competing with each other this would all be possible and you could have this and it would be super cool, especially yeah. in a sport like baseball where the randomness of one game can really be quite random. And for... rele relegation is the ultimate pro labor rule. It, oh, it so is. It so is. It forces teams to be honest. You, so, you are what you, you, what you invest, you yeah. know? And I, I know we talk about soccer a lot on this baseball podcast. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I, like I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty good soccer player. I'm not that, not, not like it into it like Ryan is. But I think it's good for everybody to understand that the way that American sports work are not the only way that sports can work. There is a lot of creativity in the rest of the world, and a lot of it is superior to how we run things. It, it, it just objectively is. And then people, I, I know a lot of Americans like turn their nose up at soccer as boring and. Um, uh, fine, whatever. If you don't like, you don't like it. But the actual structure that soccer plays in, and a lot of other European sports play similar structures. Rugby operates in a similar structure. Um, uh, cricket operates in a similar structure. Um, uh, is objectively more entertaining and more fan friendly than how American regular season to playoffs works. Um, and that shouldn't be surprising to anybody because one of the most exciting sports that we have in America is the NCAA men's basketball tournament, mm -hmm. which is not like any of the other college sports, which draws from lower leagues to play in a very um, intense, high-stakes tournament that the bigger teams would prefer not to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's exciting. It is more like a European tournament than a lot of other American sports are, and American sports could learn a lot and be more fan-friendly by adopting some of those policies. They never will because of ownership, um, but... Uh, it's good to keep those in mind. Like the way we do things is not the only way to do things and it's not as good. Well, and I think we talked about this just a little bit to wrap this up. We, we talked about this a little bit when it happened, the European super league thing collapsed. And basically yeah. what the European super league was, was an attempt by the owners at the top to secure for themselves guaranteed revenues. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. They, they wanted to secure for themselves guaranteed revenues so that they couldn't possibly get shut out of top end competition and they didn't have to earn their way in. And you know how that fell apart? It was the fans, not of the lower level teams, but of the big clubs that basically almost rioted. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of did riot, like actual rioting. Um, 
to say, fuck you, we will not accept this. We are not going to be turned into what they call a closed shop where, uh, you say Liverpool, Chelsea, whatever spot would be guaranteed in this European Super League every year. And that would shut out all these other teams from having a chance to reach that level. And the fans basically said, no, we won't accept it. And um, I think the best way that I have come up with to describe this and the difference between Europe and American sports is this. In Europe, they demand socialism in their politics and they demand... Um, they demand capitalism in their sport. And in America, it's the exact opposite. We demand capitalism in our politics and socialism in our sports. Yep. And that really is the best I've come to describing it is, is that reality. I appreciate you guys bringing it back to baseball there. Just, you know, nice little bow on top. <laughs> so well, we'll tie we into a question shortly. So that yes, also helps. Yes. Uh, all right. One last Patreon question comes from Jay Google. Baseball prospectus thought Chris Bryant would be a good fit for the Brewers. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but it also mentions Tommy Pham as a backup. Does that interest you at all? Uh, Ryan, thoughts about Tommy Pham maybe being a super utility player? I have split thoughts on this because Tommy Pham, and I, I want to be careful about this because I don't know the guy personally and whatever, but there have been so many different reported incidents he got stabbed at a bar in an off season um there have been other times when he has spoken out against teammates and gotten into you know public spats with teammates it's basically why he was run out of st louis right he got run out of st louis he hasn't been anywhere you'll notice he hasn't stayed anywhere for very long he bounces from team to team to team yeah uh, even though he's been pretty good problem now i'm of two minds about this okay on one hand you generally want to, I think, be careful about guys in this situation to bring them in and to screw up the chemistry that you have. On the other hand, part of the advantage of having a Craig Council and a group of people that they have on this team is that hopefully you can integrate all sorts of people, all different types of personalities, all different sorts of, of things into your thing and sort of make that work. Now, I don't know the individual dynamics of this. I could never hazard a guess, but maybe that would be the argument for it is that you think you have a good enough situation that if anybody can sort of, I don't say rein him in because I don't know the guy, but like if anybody could sort of make that work and make the, the, the issues that he has had in other places, um, smooth them over and make them be productive for the team. I guess you could kind of think of it like how Phil Jackson was able to squeeze some good years out of Dennis Rodman, even at peak of Dennis Rodman being a literal crazy person. <laughs> like that's kind of what you hope to do. And that's potentially an advantage you might have with Craig councils. If you think sure. he can, he can manage that situation. Um, maybe, maybe that's an advantage. I don't know. I just, I'm like I said, I'm of two thoughts about it. It's fine. He crushes lefties. Um, if he's not a big, it, if he's not a big drain on the clubhouse, whatever, that's fine. It, it depends on what he costs. But, I mean, Chris Bryant's way better than he is, so I don't consider him like a discount Chris Bryant. He's just a typical platoon guy that the Brewers go and find sometimes. So, um, I, you know, it, they, they can interview him and figure that out for themselves. I don't, I'm not against Tommy Pham, but I echo Ryan's concerns. I don't like it when guys can't stick with teams and – uh it's nice he can mash lefties he has a role he's a decent outfielder or whatever um not really but uh yeah 
I would prefer they they would look elsewhere. You can get that skill set in a lot of places, and a lot of them are better. Yeah, and, and I mean the Brewers do have an advantage here in that Willie Adamas played with Tommy Pham in Tampa, so you could easily just ask Willie Adamas, "Hey, is this guy an asshole?" And True. you know, <laughs> like maybe check it in that way and, and get a read on the chemistry that way. So, uh, well, and especially because Willie Adamas is such a uh, centerpiece of their uh, exactly of their, their like, clubhouse thing that they've got going. He's the spark plug, central figure of this clubhouse, a team leader now, right? So, like, he would be one you would ask if you have a question about somebody he played with in the past, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's something that they're they would do once you know they're allowed to talk to him again. We'll see. All right. Uh, one last Twitter question before we go. Uh, kind of wrap things up. Uh, f- go full circle here. We started with labor. Let's end with labor. Uh, we've got one from Luke Zimmerman, who's asking uh, probably too much for a Twitter thread, but maybe a future MKE tailgate. Uh, Paul, he sent this one to you directly. <laughs> what would the ramifications for MLB be if the antitrust exemption were curtailed or eliminated completely? Okay. Uh, in parentheses, it says perhaps a primer for fans who weren't lawyers would be helpful. So it's probably not what you think to start off with. Um, at the major league level, it would not change a ton because um, in the collective bargaining stratosphere, you're still going to be a bargaining unit across all of baseball, which means you're going to be bargaining against um, all of the owners to set up the framework of how baseball works, how contracts work, how arbitration works, all that stuff. Um, but uh, the few minor differences that happen there would be around free agency. Right now, like teams freely collude uh, in arbitration. The entire league has to sign off on arbitration um, offers uh, back and forth to ensure that arbitration numbers don't grow that fast. Um, so the free agency, they would not be able to collude as much. But those aren't the big ones. The, the, the big changes you would see are not at the major league level. The first big change you'd see is at the minor league level where um, ownership actively colludes against minor league players. They own the and control minor league teams and all minor league players would instantly have a giant, huge claim against all the owners uh, for collusion in setting their wages. Um, this would not result in minor league players getting paid more. Well, it would, it would, it would originally, but it, what it would really happen is just they would immediately dissolve a whole bunch of minor league teams. Um, you would have minor league baseball shrink immensely. You, you would maybe see it go away altogether in the affiliated sense and go strictly to independent ball. Um, you would see the the schools pop up and you would see uh, contracts open with indie teams for development. Uh, it would change minor league baseball as we know it. Um, so that would be the first big thing that would happen. The second big thing that would happen is that you would have more teams in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. Um, it would instantly get rid of teams' ability to block teams from coming into their neighborhoods. Um, that is collusion in the highest sense of the word. And uh, you would you would uh, you would have the A's in San Jose for sure. And uh, you would open up markets to have bigger markets to have more teams than they do now. So. That would be the, the the biggest two things that would happen. You'd have some minor things happen with the the owner's ability to um, negotiate with free agents, but mostly it would be about uh, teams blocking local competition and minor leagues being completely destroyed. Yep, nothing really to add to that. Well, that's a cheery picture. Yeah. So, thanks for that question, Luke, and and the explanation, Paul. So, uh, definitely good stuff to know too. Um, 
that's it for questions. A uh, reminder, you sign up to become a patron. You get question priority here. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority, both here on this podcast and on the Packers podcast. And as we approach 10 p.m. Central time here on Monday night, uh, I guess one hour left in March or February 28th in Eastern time. Uh doesn't look like there might be a deal uh I'm, I'm starting to be less optimistic guys i don't know about you but uh they're still talking as far as we can tell so <laughs> they've, uh, they've, they've gone back and forth like three times since we've been recording so yes yes it's not, uh, not over yet and it's if not I had to bet right now i don't know where you guys are at on this i would bet that they extend their deadline that mlb says we're making enough progress right now to justify extending the deadline we have a little bit of wiggle room built in here so we're going to extend it just a little bit more yeah, I yeah. think that's a good good solid bet. Yes. Yeah, because they'll run the they'll fake. run they'll run this right up until the Pat McAfee show and then uh <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Announce it at yeah. about one PM on yep. Tuesday and maybe that's what you know Aaron will join him on Tuesday and promise to That'll be the announcement. And, <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers will announce their baseball. God almighty. Oh man. Can't believe I have to still listen to that trash show. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks for all the questions this week. Uh, we appreciate that. We would also appreciate it if any of you, patron or not, left us a review and a rating for this podcast. You can do that over at Apple Podcasts. A reminder: Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give it five stars. Or as I mentioned at the start, maybe we'll get Ryan to sing a, a little soccer ditty here uh, if if you put that in there and specifically say Ryan has to sing. <laughs> Whatever it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, uh, his team sings. Uh, Give us a five star review. Tell us what to do. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, whether that is on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, We will continue to, I guess, uh, monitor everything labor related uh, over the next week. Fingers crossed that there's something resolved in the next week or so. But uh, if you want to hear our thoughts as we all go nuts next week, uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. I'm at James L. James Y. Ryan is at RD Top. And Paul is at Badger. So give us a follow there as well for our thoughts for the week. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. And, and bearing with all the labor talk, hopefully it's not